I'm guessing that very few of you know that um, our conference, the Midwest Conference that we're a part of, is spearheading an effort to plant a church in northeast uh, Wichita. Uh, we've invited Chad Pickering, the pastor of that church plant, to come and share this morning, and he's going to share from God's Word and also about uh, how we might have the opportunity to be involved with that church plant. Our meeting tomorrow night, as Wes mentioned, is uh, is regarding the budget and some other things, but a part of the budget proposal is an uh, outreach board proposal support the New Life Covenant Church. So we want to give Chad the opportunity to come and share this morning. Let's welcome him as he comes. Like I told the last service, you might wait till afterwards. You may want, you want your clap back. So we'll, we'll find out. Uh, well, I'm so glad to be here. By the way, I learned something about your pastor, Doug. Man, he can sing. I don't know if you all know this, but I stood in front of him, so I'd sit in front of him every weekend. Uh, well, I am so uh, honored to be here and to be a part, and I will just go ahead and get on the, the table. My hope this morning is uh, this morning is a both and, that you're able to walk out of here with something this morning uh, that definitely connects with what you individually and collectively are doing here in Salina. And then what we're doing in Wichita. I will also warn you that I am ADHD. I did not take my Ritalin this morning. So uh, at the very least, it may just be entertaining. Uh, but hopefully you'll be able to follow along. I talk fast and uh, we're going to work through, through some things. I've got like a five hour message to do in like 25 minutes. So. Here's the thing, just to give you a little insight of who I am. Uh, first, this is my family. Actually, this is just a few years ago because it's hard to get all of those people in the same. They cut me out because they're all better looking anyways. So my wife and I have uh, four sons. As you can tell, there was a lot of testosterone in our house uh, growing up. We kept trying for a girl. They kept coming out boys and like, okay, we're done. So uh, wait for some granddaughters. Well, for me, I had the privilege and honor uh, when mo- most of my friends were going off to college. I had the opportunity to serve in the Navy uh, as a Navy airman. And back when I was skinnier, tanner and had no gray. So it was a it was a good time. Well, I was stationed in San Diego and I went to visit a church. And there's a whole story I'll share in a moment about that. But showed up at this uh, church and uh, in walks this really hot green eyed blonde. And I thought, I like church. And uh I introduced myself to her. Uh, she invited me to sit with her. I invited her to lunch. And that was on Sunday, the Wednesday of that week. I got off of work. I went by Zales. I bought a diamond ring and I asked her to marry me. And we've been together for 28 years. Uh, and see, like, yeah, because none of the uh, older adults are clapping because, like, my kids are in here. Earmuffs like that. OK, that is not relationship advice. I don't recommend that. Uh, but we, we we've made it uh, because I learned to sleep with one eye open. So we have four sons together. The first, all four of our sons actually went active military. Uh, two are out now. Our first one, man, he got the good looking jeans, didn't he? So the, the one on the far right, the girl is hopefully uh, going to be my daughter-in-law. She's actually wearing the, the, I hope they're not listening online. Uh, she's actually wearing the marriage proposal in a silver locket and she doesn't know it. But I'm like, dude, give her the key. Let's go. So he's out of the Navy. He's pre-med down in Florida. Our second one, Jake, he is a Marine. He's already done two tours. That is not a daughter-in-law. That's actually my niece. Uh, but he's done two tours. He's stationed in Hawaii. Rough gig, right? So we actually went to see him in July. That's why we went to Hawaii. So we spent uh, some time with him. Our third son is out now. He went in and, uh, as a nuclear machinist in the Navy. And so now he's actually in college down in Gainesville, Florida now. And then the last one 
is our youngest, Jared, and he's actually Air Force Intelligence. So uh, they and he's actually at my home right now waiting for the Thanksgiving dinner. He did not get because he didn't get here till afterwards. So he had pizza. We, we have to rectify that. So uh, those are my kids. Uh, two of them are available. So young ladies in your early 20s, let's talk afterwards. So. Uh, so that's a little bit uh, about me, and uh, my goal this morning is to leverage one of my favorite chapters of the Bible out of Luke 15 uh, this morning to, to kind of drive home and use a springboard and then drive home what uh, I hope to accomplish this morning uh, with you. Now, uh, before we jump into that, uh, again, I have been married, and for those of you that have been married longer, you know, 10 years or longer, you'll resonate more with this than maybe people that haven't. But I feel like in my own personal walk, and as I've talked to other people, their own personal journey of faith, that sometimes this walk with Jesus can be somewhat reflective of marriage. There's like that initial brand new love phase, and it's all cheesy, and then you would tell people, and they get tired of hearing it. And then, uh, you know, then there's the honeymoon phase, and it's, it's passionate, and it's exciting. And then there's this old term, the seven-year itch. You know, you've been married for like seven years, and like, ah, this isn't everything I thought it would be. You know, uh, you know it, I mean, it's all right. Uh, but then, you know, people reach kind of this critical stage and, and some people like marriage uh, with their faith, uh, they just get disillusioned and fall away. And like, you know what, that's not everything I thought it would be. It did not deliver. It did not give me the level of joy and happiness and satisfaction. Then there's other people that break through and, and, and enter into uh, what we might call a mature relationship. And then there's a good percentage of that group that breaks through, though, that honestly, uh, over time, it just kind of becomes routine. And there are times and moments when they remember back to that passion and that energy and like, I I couldn't get enough. And maybe for some of you, there was a time when when you gave your life to Christ. It was such a dramatic change in your life. You you literally believe that that God was going to enable you to change the world. And it didn't happen exactly as you planned. And you look back and you can remember that time, but it's been a long time. Since you felt that. So part of my hope this morning for some of you is is that maybe just maybe it will reignite that thing for you. Or if you've never experienced it, light it for the first time. Now, the chapter, chapter 15 in the book of Luke, Dr. Luke uh, tells us. So it's one of my favorite, favorite verses. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered a lot of muttering. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, one of the first things that stands out to me from the beginning of this chapter is those that were far from God were drawn to Jesus and those that were supposedly close to God were repelled by him. That's the first lesson. That's a huge lesson. If we could just get that one thing and recognize that Jesus that we followed, people were drawn to him. And the religious elite, the ones that knew it all, had all the right doctrine and theology and all this and don't touch and be clean. They're like, uh, he hangs out with these people. So that's that's a talk for another day. But then he goes in and he, he, he continues with the parable. Uh, he starts with a parable. Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. And loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He goes home and then celebration time. He calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Uh, any parents in here, have you ever like misplaced one of your children? 
uh, you know, like the store, an amusement park or, or something like that. Uh, well, years ago, uh, when our kids were growing up, we were mainly a camping family because we were like, I was a pastor. She was a stay home mom. We were broke. So, you know, worlds of fun wasn't on the radar, but we were able to do silver dollar city, which I affectionately call steal your dollar city. Uh, if you've been there, you know, what I'm talking about. Uh, and so we go to silver dollar city and we're all at one point we're playing in the ball pit, right? And it's like a multi-level thing. And one of our boys, Jake, uh, in fact, this was taken right before. Uh, so we're in there and he clearly stands out. He's got like white spiky hair, like my father-in-law and we're all playing. And then I say to my wife, uh, where's Jake? And she's like, I, I don't know. So I start checking the different levels and the slides and all that. And we, I'm not finding Jake now. I had three other sons, right? So 75%, if we went home with three out of four, that's 75%. Like that's better than my cumulative grade average in high school. Like that's a passing. That's good. Like, no, it's like I didn't rejoice in the three sons I still had. Everything became about the one son. Nothing else matters. So I leave my three sons with my wife and and I begin leveraging everyone around me. They are now a means to an end. And the means to the end is finding my lost son because they aren't lost. So, kid, hey, have you seen this little, he's white haired, spiky head, blue hair. He's kind of cute and cuddly. uh, Not so much in teenage years. But at this point he was, hey, can you help me find him? And, you know, I find people with the, the badges and the walkies like, okay, that thing, get on it. Lock the doors, shut the gates. Nobody's leaving until we... We find my son and see if we've grown up in the church, we've been in the faith for a long time. We read that parable. We lose something. No, this is all out. Everything else. He leaves the ninety nine in the open field. We've got to find this lost one. And we see this and all these horrors go through your mind, these abduction stories and, and all of this. It was about one thing. Finding my lost son. Now. Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So in this, we see a father through Jesus on a mission to seek, to save, to bring back. And for the record, our lost son, I showed you a picture. So proof we did find him. He is alive and well. And it was, I will say it's one of those moments when the park person, ranger, whatever, walking them up and, and you'd be like, oh, I'm so happy. And now I'm going to kill you. Uh, Well, this is what happens. Now, if we jump to the last parable in Luke 15, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. If you're familiar, if you haven't read Luke 15 in a while, like go home and read it. But there's a dramatic difference between the two. And I wonder if you know what it is. See, in the first one, it's what is lost must be found all out mission. In the last parable, the prodigal son, what's the God figure doing in that story? Nothing. Like he's back at the ranch. Like he stayed back. So he's at home. And in the the moment that the son's returning home, uh, the father sees his son a long way off, says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. In that moment, he's filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, which, again, in that culture was 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 was, uh, unheard of, like for a man to run. That was undignified. He runs to his son, throws his arms around him and kissed him. And then if the rest of the story puts a robe on him, a very expensive robe, a ring on his finger and has a feast. It's party time. My son that was lost is found. 
See, in the one case, there's this all-out search. In the other, there is this waiting. There's searching and waiting, but in both cases, there's one thing on the God figure's mind. The lost one. See, in this case, it's a waiting. The wise father knows that the best thing that he can do, in fact, if you really look at that parable, he doesn't just let his son go his way. He actually empowers him. Here's a bunch of money. Go. And we know that he spends it on eating and partying and hookers and all of this until the point that he's finally feeding pigs and he just desperately wants to eat what the pigs are eating. And what's the father doing when the son's returning home? He's watching. He's waiting. He is ready. He's anticipating. And at the point that the prodigal son returns in brokenness and humility, with eyes to see and ears to hear, then what does the father do? He runs to him. And then he embraces him. And then he lavishes him with undeserved love and grace and gifts and welcomes him into his new life. Now, for me, I grew up in a home where my dad wouldn't step foot in church. From the time I was eight until for the next 25 years. And he had his reasons. So I didn't grow up in the faith. I didn't grow up in the church. I had had grandparents and other key people plant seeds in my life. But I just I didn't grow up in, in that. I was fascinated by Jesus. Uh, in fact, I still have it. When I turned 14, uh, family gave me a Bible. It was like King James on the outside, living Bible in the middle. And which is part of the reason it took me so long to figure it out. And uh and I still have that. And I was fascinated by Jesus and I was drawn to him and I and I, and I wanted to be accepted by God. But I, I looked in the mirror and I saw my choices because, you know, at, at 14, I started becoming sexually active at 14. I started drinking when I was 15. I started smoking pot with six at 16. Each birthday, just add something new. And then uh, ultimately, then I go in the Navy with no moral compass. And so now I'm traveling the world. I got the uniform. I wasn't in too bad a shape. And, you know, going into ports in different countries. And, and, I, and I was... I was living it up. In fact, the weekend, that that 2 a.m., well, back it up. Uh, The weekend I finally surrendered my life to Christ, I had met some girl from UCLA at a club in Tijuana, and we'd gone to L.A. for the weekend. And I got back, and it was 2 a.m. I was getting ready for bed. I was stationed on an aircraft carrier. I was getting ready to get in my rack. And I've never personally heard that I know of an audible voice of God, but this was as close as it came to. And there was this one word loud and clear in my mind, and it was choose. And I knew what that meant. It was like the scales were knocked from my eyes. I could just continue down this path of doing things the way I wanted to, waking up again and again and again with regret, feeling farther and farther away from a God that I actually believed existed, but that I could not access. And I surrendered right there. And two things I prayed. I prayed that he would change my life. And that he would bring a Christian woman into my life. And the next day I went to this church and I heard about grace. And I caught a blonde in a weak moment. We've been together for 28 years. (laughs) So see, here's the thing though. My salvation was dramatic. I remember it like it was yesterday. And then God put a fire in my bones like Jeremiah talks about. Like your word is a fire shut up in my bones. I try to contain it, but I can't. And it has just burned hotter and hotter through the years. See, for those of you that remember vividly, if you had a moment where you remember I was lost and now I'm not. It's dramatic and it impacts you. But if we're not careful, 
we can forget. We can lose sight of it. What it was like to be lost. What it took for us to become found. The people that somehow played even the smallest of roles in us finding our way to the Father. So he's invited all of us because I believe these two parables mashed together represent individually and collectively what we are called to do. On the one hand, God is inviting us into this search and rescue mission for those that don't know him and are lost. My son is lost. My daughter is lost. Will you help me find them? And then on the other hand, he's invited us individually and collectively to create spaces and places that, that are relevant in 2016. That when the moment comes, somebody finally comes, like me, who showed up at the door, broken and covered in blood and pig poop and everything. And like, I am not worthy in finding a place where they can be drawn in to authentic community. It's both and. And so that's what we do. And that, and so just now very quickly, what this is what we're doing in Wichita. Some of you, as I've talked to many people, have moved from there. You've had family there. You, you know people. Others of you, you avoid it. And that's all right. I avoided it after I left. So I'd never live there again. I hated Wichita. And God's like, really? You're going back. So here I am. Uh, Wichita, for example, just the city alone is, has a population of approximately 400,000. of that number identify as nuns, not Catholic nun, N-O-N-E-S. They identify as no religious affiliation whatsoever. Around 200,000 people. And you think about Wichita. We've got Coke industry. We've got the aircraft industry. We've got NetApp. We've got Wichita State and other schools. We've got incredible technology and industry that is drawing people from all over the world to Wichita. And one of the exciting things is for some reason, and here's the other thing, Wichita does not need another church, but it needs a different kind of church. And that's what we're doing. And for some reason, God has enabled us to to engage with the nuns. In just the last two or three weeks, I've had three meetings with individuals that either grew up, which still boggles my mind, that they grew up in some smaller communities in Wichita with zero church experience. They can't tell you the difference. What Old New Testament, what is that? I met with one guy who grew up in the faith and then into college, was still active, but then he got a job with Boeing, went to Paris to do a, co- a, a collaborative work with Airbus. And while there, because of the impact of the Parisian culture, along with picking up uh, the God delusion and reading that, that between the two, it just completely knocked him off of his faith and his path. And so when I met with him, you could just tell he had his guard up. And by the time the lunch was over, he leaned and he says, when can we meet again? God's doing something amazing. And we're so glad to have you consider to be a part of it. So very quickly, here's who we are. Here's the DNA. Here's the snapshot. The first is our vision. A vision is just essentially why do we exist? Our vision is this, to be a catalyst for spiritual and social change makers in Christ. Here's what I mean by that. In my 28 years of following Jesus, I've been exposed to a lot of different church environments, even prior to giving my life to Jesus. And one of the things, here's how I'm going to compare it, because clearly military and the background and family, think of the terms of a foxhole. A foxhole serves a purpose. 
You dig in a foxhole because you need to be able to have cover ultimately so that you can advance and advance and advance. You dig a foxhole, you dig in and you get regrouped, you use strategy so that you can weaken the enemy enough so that you can move forward more, move forward more. In my experiences, the church, so many church communities have lost sight of that. That somewhere along the way, it stopped becoming about advancing a mission into this world and protecting the foxhole at all costs. Because in our foxhole, we know names, we know stories, we all know the same songs, we like the color of the dirt, whatever it is. And so we're protecting this foxhole. And we embrace the vision like, no, and we understand people are going to come in like I did, come in with wounds and scars and a lot of damage that maybe they brought on themselves or whatever it is and need to have a place to heal. But this isn't a place where then now we're putting you like in some uh, assisted care facility where we're going to just take care of you and put a safe bubble around you. No, we're going to get you better because we're on mission. Jesus said in Matthew five, you are the light of the world. He's talking to us. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house, regardless of what they believe, regardless of their background. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a devoted follower of Jesus, whatever environment you're in, in education, in the school, in the marketplace, in your neighborhood, just your presence should affect change. People go, go like, I don't necessarily believe everything that you believe, but I'd love a hundred of you to work for me. I don't necessarily ever, ever believe everything, but I would want to work for you. Or I would want my, my daughter to marry one of you. I would want my son to marry one of you. Because there's just something about you that wherever you are, it just affects positive change. And so we recognize that we want to be a catalyst, not a bubble. Be a catalyst for people into the community, into the marketplace, that wherever they're at, they are empowered and equipped to affect positive change. Our mission, this is right from Matthew 28. What do we do is our mission to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So that that's our mission. That's our vision. That defines everything. That defines the things we say yes to, the things that we don't know to. And then digging into the DNA of who we are. The first, our first value, the value is who are we, who we are, is it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In boldness and humility, everything we do and say must point to Jesus. The key is boldness and humility. We are nothing more than joyful beggars showing other beggars where we found food. See, one of my struggles both in coming into the faith and then being in the faith, as I've just run into so many, especially in the United States, that they define being a Christian is that I've got the right political stance, I've got the right Second Amendment stance, I believe the right things, and I have the right doctrine, I belong to the right club. And none of that is what Jesus said. Now listen, I, I got nothing against like the whole, you know, the guns and Second Amendment. I own guns. I was military, whatever. It, it, that, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is everything that we do points to Jesus. And if it's not, then we need to evaluate what am I doing? Everything points to him. Paul, Paul in First Corinthians says, though I'm free, 
I'm free. Jesus has set us free. I'm free and belong to no one. I have chosen. I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. Why? That I may share in its blessings. It's all about Jesus. Our next value is radical love. And this is so key. And if we could get this right as a church, it would change everything. Everyone needs to be loved and shown love. Everyone. If we don't love, nothing else matters. Nothing. Jesus said to his disciples as he was getting ready to leave this earth, a new command I give to you. Who's he giving this command to? The betrayer, the denier, and the cowards. The one in Jesus' greatest moment of need abandoned him. The group that none of them were gathered outside the tomb on Easter morning doing a countdown. Nine, eight, seven. It was done. It was over. They had abandoned. Abandoned him. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Why? By this, everyone will know you are my disciple. If you love one another. And then Paul and so many people read by this. It's only half of a verse in Galatians 5, 6. Paul says the only thing that counts is this. And when something in scripture, when Paul says the only thing that counts, we should be taking notes. The only thing that counts is this faith working itself out in love. Our next value is grace and truth. We are to be full of both grace and truth. In the same breath that Jesus frees us from our condemnation, he calls us to leave our life of sin and follow him. See, we're not we're not a church. We're not a new church. We're on the one hand it's like, hey, just come with whatever you are. And God just loves you the way you are and just come. See, that's a half truth. Because then he also calls us to something greater. The best example of this is the adulterous woman in John 8. And so, most, again, most if not all of you know this story. woman caught in the act of adultery, not sure where the dude was. That's a whole other conversation. But they bring her and humiliate her in front of everybody. The law says she should be stoned. She was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus is like, you're right. The law says so. First one hasn't sinned. Cast a stone. One by one, off they go. And then we're told that Jesus stood up. And he looks at her. And he says, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Grace. Now leave your life of sin. Truth. So it is both grace and truth. John says that we know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Our next value is irrational generosity. That we will maximize our resources for Jesus. May we not leave this life knowing we could have given more, done more, or risked more. 
to reach us far from God. See, one of the things that, that I've experienced is that we we want safety. We want air bubbles around us. We want air bags all around us. It's like we get in a crash. We call, hey, I was in a crash with the kids. It was great. Like it was a fun part that we want safety around this. And we want to give everybody a medal because they might hurt, might hurt their feelings. And like I. I was the guy that when our family went camp camping, our youngest was like four or five, and we get to the campsite and I just give them all hatchets and say, Go get the firewood. <laughs> now my wife was freaking out, but none of them cut off anything. It's where's the risk? What are you risking? What are we risking? So we embrace that as a as a church in the DNA of who we are, that we are going to maximize our resources for Jesus and take risks. Uh, there is this parable that it, it seems kind of odd in, in Luke 16 when you first read it, because Luke describes you've got this money manager. He's working for this wealthy man. Wealthy man is like, you're not doing your job. You're going to be fired. Guy finds out and suddenly it's Black Friday. The guy goes to start meeting with some of the debtors, say, how much do you owe? I owe a thousand. We'll make it seven hundred. How much do you owe? I owe five hundred. Make it three hundred. And suddenly it's sale day and you expect Jesus to condemn him, but instead he praises him. He, he, he says that the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use your worldly wealth, your time, your finances, your money, whatever it is to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, because eventually it's going to be gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What are you risking these days for the one that saved your life and your soul? And so we are going to be a place that we are going to take risk. And we're going to give sacrificially. Next value is the church has left the building. And this is so important. Again, especially with what I've said, this is so important that we get this church is not a building or an institution. If this you know, building burns down. This church in Salina still exists because it's you. It's made up of people. The church is not a building or an institution. It's a movement. And we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for others. And this is so key. Everything that we do, ultimately, we exist for others. Jesus says in Matthew 28, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make. Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Mark 2, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so we exist for the world. So at any point we're like, like, you know what? I don't necessarily like this music or this color or this room temperature or whatever. Suddenly we're bringing the focus in on us. The question is, what can we do individually and collectively to reach those that are far from God, how can we serve them? How can we show them love? The next, the second to last value is authentic community, and this is so important. We are not designed to do life alone, and especially in our culture, we are so isolated. Social media has connected us, and yet so disconnected us. We live surface relationships. We don't want to let people in too close. We're not designed to do life alone. We do life together and we work to lead everyone into transparent, life-giving, life-transforming community. And so we've worked to create an environment where people are drawn in. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
And then if one of them falls down, and we will fall. If one of them falls down, the other can help the other up. Personally, I wanted to call this particular value the wildebeest value because uh, my kids grew up watching the Discovery Channel. And what wildebeest gets eaten? The one that's like off by itself, just like checking things out, not the ones that are in the herd, right? So we need to be in community together. The last one is incredible joy. No one. No one should have more joy and laughter than people who have been given new life. And new hope. Uh, about six and a half years ago, before we moved back from Chicago, uh, I was actually at an intersection at a stoplight, and the green arrow had turned green, and so the left turners had gone, and then it turned green, so I was getting ready to go. And I remember I looked at my phone for some reason, and I thought, I don't know, I, I thought I should look up. I looked up just in time to hit my brakes as a semi came about 60 miles an hour through the intersection, blew the red light, missed me by two inches. I remember going ahead and moving on up and pulling over the side because like now I'm shaking. I got like the ugly cry. I'm calling my wife said, you won't believe this. I was almost killed. She's like, I don't like this phone call. It is. But in that moment, I was like, thank you, God. I, I, I'm alive. I'm not damaged. I'm not dead. And or I think back to that that time where I finally just surrendered to God. And the incredible joy. Of new life. Paul writes in Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, that's who we are. I'm going to kind of bring this home with a story and a picture of all of these things lived out. Uh, just not that long ago, we were, uh, actually it's been about a year and a half ago, we were taking a big group down to San Antonio for what's called the Passion Worship Conference. And so we're going down to this conference and a young lady decided to join us. And all I knew is that she was fairly new, new married and kind of pregnant. Uh, I mean, kind of like three months pregnant. So like not the full on, but she, okay, so she was pregnant. And I didn't know her. So she comes... We get to know her, has a great experience. We get back, and then she contacts me and wants to meet with my wife and I. And so we meet with her, and then we get to the rest of the story. And basically, her story was that the previous August, she had married her high school sweetheart, and then around November, December, found out she was pregnant. And two things were discovered in this. Number one, that she had gotten pregnant two weeks after they were married. The other thing that was learned is the child was not her husband's. So you want to talk about a place of brokenness. Her, her new husband had left her. Well, he hadn't quite left. He hadn't decided yet. So she had come on this trip with two questions. Uh, can, if there's a God, can he love and accept me still? And can those that supposedly follow him, can they love and accept me? And so she went. She had this amazing experience. She met with us. We got the chance to share with her about grace and hope and new life. And then uh, an amazing experience happened where just a, a, a few months later, uh, well, during that time, then she surrendered her life to Jesus. Uh, she was baptized. 
And then I was actually doing a message and actually asked if I could interview her live on stage. So I interviewed her in front of about 3,500 people to tell her story, which she was totally authentic about. And see, what people expected was, here's this this girl, uh, and I th- we got a picture of her. This is Sydney, and that's her little girl. That, uh, you know, she gave her life to Jesus and uh, God just showed up and fixed everything and put a little, nice little bow on top. No. Her husband annulled the marriage. Uh, we were at the hospital when her daughter was born with a cord wrapped around her neck three times, cutting off oxygen to the brain. And she's born with extreme special needs. So here now you've got a single mom making about 15 bucks an hour, lost her husband, lost everything. She has a special needs child. No bow on top, except you could feel the peace that she had. I mean, her life was a mess. But she was okay because she had this new God. And she had this newfound relationship with a man named Jesus Christ. See, I could tell you story after story. And for some reason, again, God is equipping us to reach those that are far from him or rejected him. And so my hope for you, as you individually and collectively are here in Salina, that God would empower you to accomplish that as well. That you would refuse to ever let it become about the foxhole, but the mission. That you are in your community and in the lives of other people seeking to create change Socially, social justice, poverty and injustice and salvation. This is what we are doing in Wichita. Now, I will tell you that the primary group, we have all ages. We've got birth up to a couple in their 70s. That's part of our launch team. The primary group that we're reaching is the primary group that is walking away from the church or avoiding it is the college and young professional. So much fun. So awesome. But let me tell you, when you're college age, you're young professional and you you know what you are broke. (laughs) And so one of the things that we're excited about is that you guys are having a meeting tomorrow night is the opportunity to join forces and for you to be a part of what we're doing in Wichita. But there have been many of the people of this congregation before they left the previous two services stopped by and because they made the decision they wanted to be a part of what we're doing now in a very personal way. And if anything of this that you heard excites you or you'd say, I want to be a part of that as you leave today, you stop by right now. I will tell you, because I don't ever encourage people to do something I'm not doing. Uh, My wife and I have already invested ten thousand dollars into this movement. We will do at least that much next year because we believe in what God is doing. We are reaching people that the existing brick and mortar churches in Wichita are not reaching. We need help. Our biggest upfront is the upfront costs because the building that we're in is an amazing location. But there's costs, and especially starting out, you want to start out strong. So if before you leave here, you want to be a part of that, you just stop and see me. Uh, we can pull up the slide. This is our, our, our website. It's not the full website yet. It's going to go there, give you like a little welcome that gives you an op- option where you can give online or you can even do text to give. But we would just invite you to be a part of this. In fact, what I'd really like to do is leave here this morning. And when I call the team and tell them what you guys did, they cry. Because it excites them. 
to know there's people outside because I'm telling you, it's hard. These young men and women are giving sacrificially of their time. They're sacrificing time with family, but they are all in and they are making it happen. And we'd invite you to be a part of that. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to have Pastor Doug come up and do the benediction. I'd love to meet you out. I'll be by the office entrance out in the lobby off that direction. Father, I thank you for the men and women in this room and the young people that are here. I especially thank you for the young people in this room because they're the now. They're the now and the future. And God, for those of us with with a little gray in our hair or we just lost it all, whatever, I pray, God, that you truly would help us to be wise stewards of that and begin to empower them with effective ministry, giving them a chance to spread their wings, to own this next generation of moving your church and the movement of Jesus Christ in this community and in this world. I pray for this uh, this possible relationship with one another as this church has a direct impact in Wichita that is going to go all over the globe as these men and women from Pakistan and Afghanistan and India and from all over the world are coming there for education, not expecting that they are going to discover you and Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that together you would empower us to do great things that in our last breath we can look back on our lives and celebrate what you did through us because we were willing to have the courage to take the risk. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you.